The sports world keeps spinning, and the local conversation continues. Now, Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Wednesday afternoon, early evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark. Yes, I understand it is not officially dark, but that's what happens when we fill in for Rick Ballou for the rest of the week. We're glad you're with us here with Dylan Denmark, the Hacker Ryan Green with you on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. We got a lot to do. We got a lot to get into with the Florida Gators. We got a lot to get into with the Jacksonville Jaguars. We got a lot to get into in the world of the National Football League. Let's begin with the guest lineup. It looks like this. Coming up in about 20 minutes, Steve Palazzolo of Pro Football Focus. He is one of their main NFL guys on PFF.com. We'll kind of set the blueprint for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Free agency, Evan Ingram, Jawan Taylor, Arden Key. What do the Jaguars need to do? And we'll look around the AFC South a little bit. A brand new head coach in Houston, a brand new head coach in Indianapolis, and a brand new general manager in Tennessee and Rand Carthon, who if you've seen today, the Titans are cutting guys left and right. Taylor Lewan shown the door. Robert Woods shown the door. Zach Cunningham shown the door. And Randy Bullock, the kicker. So the Titans have been very busy today in cutting a lot of their veteran players. We'll get into all that with Steve Palazzolo of Pro Football Focus. Coming up at about 6.45, Mike Grimala of the Las Vegas Sun. As we talk about Nick Holes, who's Nick Holes? Well, it appears he's going to be replacing Jim Bob Cooter as the brand-new passing game coordinator for the Jacksonville Jaguars. So we'll go to Las Vegas. Again, Mike Grimala of the Las Vegas Sun standing by. He will join us in about 45 minutes or so. In the 7 o'clock hour, my friend John Shipley, of Jaguar Report, as again, we'll focus on the Jacksonville Jaguars inside of three weeks until free agency. And finally, coming up at the bottom of the 7 o'clock hour, Andrew Spivey, GatorCountry.com. And that is actually where we are going to begin with the Patrick Tony news, the defensive coordinator, the up-and-coming D.C. in Gainesville, ups and leaves in the middle of the night to go out to the Arizona Cardinals. With that, every night here on Hacker After Dark, we do give you a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. All right, so the big deal tonight is very Florida Gator related. There are a couple of really interesting things. One, having to do with Patrick Toney the other having to do with Anthony Richardson. Let's begin with Patrick Toney. Florida Gators last night, Patrick Toney takes the job, an assistant job, an analyst job with the Arizona Cardinals. Where did this come from? On February the 22nd, why is Patrick Toney, a guy who came from Louisiana with Billy Napier, a guy who's only, what, 32, I believe, years of age, a guy by all indications is an absolutely terrific recruiter. I've been told locally that he kind of stood out in the recruiting game. People liked him here in Jacksonville when it came to the recruiting game. Why does this guy just decide to leave 10 days before spring football? Is it as simple as Jonathan Gannon gets the job in Arizona as the head coach 
reaches out to Patrick Tony. Yeah, maybe it is that simple, or maybe it's a little more complex than that. Patrick Tony also was up for the Baylor defensive coordinator job. Now, again, he did not get that, but let me ask you, and maybe this is my orange and blue blinders here. Maybe this is my Gator homerism showing through. But if you're the defensive coordinator at the University of Florida, what are you doing looking to be the defensive coordinator at Baylor? I'm sorry. That's a step down, right, from Florida to Baylor. Not trying to be the SEC homer, but let's be real. That's a step down. But apparently, Patrick Tony was more than interested in the Baylor job. He did not get it. He goes to the NFL last night taking an analyst role with the Arizona Cardinals. Now, there's no mistaking that the Florida defense was bad last year. Florida defense at times was putrid last year. So I'm not going to throw stones in a glass house. I criticized the Florida defense in a major, major way. And with good reason. They were awful. Awful. Were they awful because of Patrick Toney? I don't know. A lot of those guys weren't Patrick Tony guys. Those were guys that that staff inherited from the previous regime. You could argue that some of the better players on defense last year were some of the young guys that came in and contributed right away, like a Shamar James, like a Kamari Wilson, just to name a few. But why again on February 22nd does a 32-year-old defensive coordinator by all indications, a very good recruiter and a very bright future ahead of him, and Patrick Tony leave to take an analyst job with the Arizona Cardinals. Well, let's take a good hard look in the mirror at a couple of things. Let's look at Gator fans. Let's look at you guys. Not all of you. I'm not talking about all of you, but I'm talking about some of you. Look, Mike White, the basketball coach, did not do a good job there. I was ready for Mike White to go. But make no mistake about it. Mike White, part of the reason he left Florida was the constant firemikewhite.com negativity that Gator fans spewed at him time and time again. It was hurting him in the recruiting game, quite frankly. It was being used against him by fellow coaches. So now you fast forward to last year. Go on Twitter. Go on social media. Go look at what Gator fans were saying during Florida Gator football games. How awful the defense was. How terrible this player is. How terrible that player is. And how Patrick Tony and Billy Napier, for that matter, but for the time being, we'll focus on Patrick Tony. How they don't know what they're doing in the Southeastern Conference. This isn't Louisiana. This is the SEC. You can't do that in the SEC. He's too young. He's inexperienced. Fire Patrick Tony. Get Patrick Tony out of here. You know you said it. A lot of you said it. Well, you got your wish, right? Didn't get fired, but he left on his own accord. So if you were one of the people that in October and November were wanting Patrick Tony gone, congratulations. Patrick Tony is now gone. So don't get all upset that Florida's defensive coordinator left in the fashion that he did if you were the one wanting him fired in the first place. Now, there are a lot of reports out as to who Florida may bring in to replace him. There's a report out about Austin Armstrong, formerly of Southern Miss. He had been hired this offseason as a linebacker coach at Alabama. He coached at Louisiana 
with Billy Napier. Nothing has been made official as of yet. I would imagine something will be official in the coming 24 to 48 hours that he is going to be the brand new defensive coordinator, which is good because Florida starts spring football practice in 10 days. You look at the Gators, right, over the last month, the Gator athletic program, you had the absolute fiasco with Jaden Rashada and the NIL. He's gone. You got problems in the quarterback room as a result of that. Your best basketball player, Colin Castleton, broke his hand. His season's probably over, and for that, his career is going to be over as a Gator. And now, Patrick Toney leaves, and at the time we're talking, you have an open defensive coordinator spot. It has not been a good month for the University of Florida as far as football and basketball. Now, the baseball team looks really good. Apparently, Gator softball is also really good. So there are some things to be excited about, but Florida just needs some good news. Florida needs something positive to happen. Been a lot of negativity surrounding football and that injury to Colin Castleton. By the way, the Gators play Kentucky tonight. I told you last night, based on the what I saw against Arkansas over the weekend, I'm not sure the Gator basketball team wins another game. I will never go as far as to say a collegiate athlete or athletes quit, but if you watch that game in Fayetteville, particularly in the second half on Saturday, you explain to me what they were doing on defense because I have no idea. I'm not sure if they quit or not. They just looked very disinterested in being there. So we'll see if they're any more fired up to play at home tonight against the Kentucky Wildcats. But Patrick Toney gone. Gators looking for a new defensive coordinator. They'll probably have one shortly. And by the way, the tight end coach also leaves. You had two coaches today, two, leave Florida to go to the Arizona Cardinals. It's a very odd circumstance there. The other big deal of the night, and this is something we'll harp on a little more this evening, but this will probably carry over tomorrow and into Friday. The absolute, I don't even know what I would call it. There is a disconnect. I guess that's a good word for it. A disconnect between those that cover college football and those that cover the NFL draft when it comes to Anthony Richardson. Those that cover college football do not speak very highly of Anthony Richardson as far as a player. No one has anything bad to say about the person that he is. He's a great kid. Great kid. But there is no doubt that if you watch Florida this year, as much as he was great against Tennessee and Florida State, he was bad against Missouri. He was awful against Kentucky. Bad against South Florida. But why do college guys in the media... In fact, I had a Gator person today, not somebody I have on the air, but somebody that I trust with their opinion. I had a Gator person today tell me that they don't understand the love that's coming from the NFL for Anthony Richardson. CBSSports.com had Anthony Richardson going number one in the draft in their latest mock draft this morning. My friend Chris Trapasso, who, by the way, I'm going to get on next week. I texted Chris today. 
Chris is at my favorite place on earth, Denmark. When you text Chris Trapasso and he's in line on Space Mountain, big thumbs up for me. Chris is enjoying a little Disney World time with the family. We'll have him on next week. But Chris Trapasso, one of the main CBS Sports mock draft guys, has Anthony Richardson going number one. Number one in the draft. Look, I'm rooting for Anthony Richardson. If I'm biased, so be it. He's a good kid. I've talked to him a couple of times. And, oh, by the way, his quarterback coach is a good friend of mine and Denny Thompson. So I'm not going to sugarcoat the fact that I am rooting, openly rooting, for Anthony Richardson. Would I take him number one in the draft? Not even close. Not even close. And all these NFL draft guys that are drooling over him will continue to drool over him at the Combine. He's going to go to Indy and he's going to go nuts. That athleticism, he's going to go absolutely nuts. And after the Combine, he will probably be in the top 10, maybe top five of a lot of mock drafts. But yet you talk to those that covered him in college, ESPN, Saturday Down South, CBS, even some folks over in Gainesville, they don't understand the love for Anthony Richardson when it comes to projecting him as a top 10 pick in the draft. There is a clear disconnect, and it's fascinating to see who's going to be wrong and who's going to be right. You look at the athleticism, you look at the sheer body type, everything Anthony Richardson has going for him, and I would imagine there is not an NFL guy going that doesn't think they can mold that young man into the next big thing in the NFL. But a lot of college guys will tell you, college guys that cover the game, it won't be that easy. Anthony Richardson started one year in college. One year. He has 13, or what, I guess, what does he have? 13 starts under his belt. 13. He won six of those games. He did not complete a high percentage. He was bad in half of his starts. You see the raw talent, and that's what NFL folks are drooling over. But a lot of these college media guys are telling you to pump the brakes a little bit. Somebody's going to be wrong. Somebody's going to be right. And I'm all for it either way. It's going to make for an interesting conversation, an interesting debate up until the draft. And then depending on who he gets drafted to, it'll continue to be interesting. 641-1010 is the phone number on the phone line and on the text line designed by Lifetime Enclosures. We got a lot to do. We'll go to Gainesville again in the 7 o'clock hour. Andrew Spivey, GatorCountry.com. We'll talk more on Patrick Tony's departure from the University of Florida. Coming up next, we are 19 days away from NFL free agency. 19 days, less than three weeks. Evan Ingram, Jawan Taylor, Arden Key. Big moves in the AFC South being made today. The Titans cut four guys. The Texans and the Colts have brand new head coaches. Let's talk about all of it. Steve Palazzola, one of the main guys for PFF, Pro Football Focus. It's one of my favorite websites. Love having Steve Palazzolo on with us here on Hacker After Dark, and he joins us next. A Wednesday evening in the city of Jacksonville with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you're with us. It's Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and 92.5 FM.
Another interview on the Farah and Farah phone line, brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farah and Farah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The NFL scouting combine on the horizon. We are now officially inside of three weeks before NFL free agency as the NFL wheel never stops turning. With that, Steve Palazzolo of Pro Football Focus. He's one of our favorites here on 1010XL, and he's always kind enough to join us here in the city of Jacksonville. Steve, how we doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Hey, Steve, always appreciate the time. The last time you and I talked, I believe the Monday after the Jaguar-Dallas game, what a game that was, and Jacksonville would then go on to rattle off four more wins in a row, including winning the division and having the third largest comeback in NFL postseason history. Steve, as you've had a month now to think about it, what do you take away from what the Jaguars did this year under Doug Peterson? Well, yeah, I mean, obviously it was an awesome uh, run down the stretch there. And, you know, it obviously also coincided with Trevor Lawrence starting to look like the star that uh, Jags fans were hoping for. So, I mean, that's the that's the story of the season, right, is you get away, yeah, you get away from Urban Meyer. And I think the, the further you got away from just an ugly 2021 season, you start to see the fingerprints of Doug Peterson on the roster and the team, and you start to see the – the uh, the rise to stardom for for Trevor Lawrence, right? He had some of those high end games that were, um, you know, just kind of put him in a different echelon. And he had already had that by the you know, last time we talked with the, you know, in the Dallas game, but he he carried it through. So I, th- I think that's the the big takeaway is those foundational pieces uh, of Trevor Lawrence and you know some of the, the off season signings and draft picks. Starting to see all of that come together. It was nice that they got to you know get into the playoffs, get a nice playoff win. But I don't even think coming into the year, the goal was, you know, 2022. It was setting everything up for 23 and beyond. And I think the Jags certainly show that they're well set up for the future. Yeah, I certainly think they're a year ahead of schedule. And, and then not only Trevor Lawrence, as you mentioned, but I go back to Doug Peterson. I know he didn't win coach of the year. I went to Brian Dable. I have my own personal thoughts on that. Uh, you know, I don't think anybody inherited a worse situation, both in the locker room and on the field than Doug Peterson did. He had a lot of cleaning up to do. He even used the word healing, Steve, when he got here based on what happened under Urban Meyer. And I thought Doug Peterson did a borderline masterful job with the Jaguar organization in 2022. Yeah, I've, I've talked to others who used that same word of, of healing. I mean, that's that's how bad it was in, in 2021. So I think with the coach of the coach of the year, it's it's usually, hey, what were the expectations for this team? So I get it as far as Dable getting in and all that stuff. Expectations were low for the Jags, but a lot of times when you have the quarterback in place, you get as much credit. But yeah, what Peterson had to do to not only get the whole team back on track, but get Trevor Lawrence on track as well. As great of a prospect as he was, he had a rough rookie season and he was a little up and down the first half of this season, but just extracting, you know, his star play, you know, was, it was a big undertaking, I think for the entire offensive staff this year as well. So yeah, Doug Peterson did a great job, um, you know, fixing the the wounds, so to speak, getting Trevor Lawrence on track, but also making all those pieces fit. There were a lot of those off season signings at various positions and, you know, making the whole puzzle, you know, fit together was uh, was a great job by Peterson and his entire staff. You can check out Steve Palazzolo at profootballfocus.com. You know, Steve, Trent Balky is a, the general manager here in Jacksonville. I got to give him a ton of credit, too. Look, you don't want to build your team 
via free agency. But in Jacksonville's case, they almost had to do that a year ago. And you look at the guys they brought in, from Christian Kirk to Zay Jones to Evan Ingram to Brandon Sheriff. And then on the defensive side of the ball, Fadakasi, Aluakin, Darius Williams, Arden Key. I mean, Steve, he was eight for eight. He was perfect last year in signing free agents. So a big tip of the cap to me has to go to Trent Baalke. Yeah, I think when you talk about team building, there's the various different ways that you can attack it. I think the Jags have, have built through the draft for the most part over the last couple of years, and then they, they did go the free agency route. Again, you mentioned all those players at various positions, right? It wasn't just, hey, we're going to grab you know multiple offensive linemen or multiple receivers. They had to stitch holes up and down that roster, and I think they did that by comp- and then complementing that with, with draft picks. So, um, yeah, the, the, the question last year at this time was the price, you know, the price for a Christian Kirk, the price for, for some of these players. And I think the price is going to, you know, continue to look better as the years go on and the cap goes up. But regardless, you know, those were moves to improve the team. And you, you saw that on the field, especially with, you know, you know guys like Christian Kirk, where they, they had a plan for him as well, a plan for using Christian Kirk and his skill set. And I think that's the biggest thing. It's not just bringing in players, it's pairing that with the coaching staff, making sure you're getting the most out of those players. And I thought it was definitely a, an excellent year one return for that free agent class. Steve, understanding we haven't seen Calvin Ridley since October of 2021. All indications are he's in fantastic shape. He applied for reinstatement last week. If it's 75 or 80% of what Calvin Ridley was in Atlanta in 2021, what could he provide to this Jaguar offense? I mean, my biggest focus this offseason for the Jags would be playmakers, would be receivers, tight ends, the whole deal. Ridley's one of those um, already, you know, on the roster. I think the question's going to be, do the Jags need one of those traditional X receivers, right? That, that guy that's going to, you know, win against press, win against man coverage. I don't know if Ridley's that guy when he became the guy in Atlanta. Uh, it didn't go as well when he didn't have Julio Jones as a compliment. But I love Ridley as a part of the entire mix. You know, he's an, he's an excellent route runner. Um, at his best, he'll run the short, intermediate route tree extremely well. He's not a deep speed type of guy, but he gets open, right? You want receivers who get open. You know, pair that with Christian Kirk. Pair that with, you know, an ideal scenario is probably getting uh, as close to a wide receiver one as possible, whether that's through trade, whether that's hitting on someone in the draft, which, you know, might not be available in the draft, but, you know, continuing to add resources there. I think Ridley is just a good outside receiver that gets open. And, you know, you want to add that to Zay Jones and Christian Kirk and whatever else you can add. I'm all about getting as many playmakers as possible. So love that they already got that, you know, pretty much on on the cheap side, you know, getting Ridley and, and getting that a year early. Steve, I want to look around the AFC South, but final Jaguar uh, centric question, I guess, you know, you look at, Jawan Taylor and Evan Ingram. Those are probably the two big free agents that are scheduled to hit the market in less than three weeks now on Monday, March the 13th. Um, How vital is it for the Jaguars to bring both of those guys back? Uh, I I guess around here, Evan Ingram seems to be the choice if you could only keep one. What's your thought between Ingram and Jawan Taylor? Yeah, I think it's all about the price when it comes to both, but especially Ingram, you know, he, he was excellent down the stretch, one of our highest graded tight ends in the second half of the season, um, certainly a good receiving weapon. And um, I would definitely, you know, try to get him back, you know, on the, on the short term as, as much as possible. Juwan Taylor, I think is, is more replaceable. He's never really graded all that well for us, even though he'd made some strides in pass protection this year and year four, you do tend to see that from, 
Uh, from an offensive line standpoint, I think he struggled in the run game, which is a little bit of the opposite of what we had expected from Jawan Taylor coming out of Florida. If he's uh, if if he's looking at a you know a big number for for a long term deal, I think you can you could find right tackles elsewhere, maybe late first round or you um, just elsewhere in free agency or second tier of free agency. So I'd lean toward Ingram as the guy, but maybe not in the long-term sense, but maybe a multi-year deal and just trying to get him back in the mix as another playmaker that they can move around. Yeah, I guess the thought here is that in a perfect world, Cam Robinson comes back. You got Walker Little. Can you just move Walker Little out to right tackle if Jawan Taylor leaves? That's at least the thought around these parts. A couple more for Steve Palazzolo of Pro Football Focus. Steve, a lot has transpired in the last month in the AFC South. We've got a brand-new general manager in Tennessee and two brand-new head coaches in Indianapolis and Houston. Let's begin with what appears to be the Jaguars' biggest competition. That is the Titans. Mike Vrabel still the head coach. Now Rand Carthon, the general manager. And a lot of talk as to whether Ryan Tannehill will be back in Nashville this season. What's your thought on what Tennessee is going to do up there um, with Carthon in as GM? Yeah, there was obviously some kind of rift there between Mike Vrabel, John Robinson, the you know, the player acquisition and then the coaching. I think Vrabel's a fantastic coach. You know, last year was the first time we really saw a blip from him that was below average. You know, that that uh, that losing streak to finish the season, losing to the Jags to get into the playoffs. But to that point, Vrabel had done a great job of maximizing that roster. I do think they, uh, the Titans uh, got a little bit weaker in key areas last offseason. Um, so it's going to be about building that back. I, I still think Ryan Tannehill probably is the best option for them moving forward. But if they want to take a longer term approach, it doesn't help to get a developmental quarterback in there as Tannehill gets to the end of his contract. They purposely had a shorter contract with some, you know, flexibility, a way to get out uh, of Tannehill's deal. But, you know, Tannehill's that classic quarterback where there's, he's good. He's a good enough starter for most teams in the league, but there's, there's always the the hope that you could find better. And I just don't know if, the, if better is on the market uh, this particular offseason. So Titans have some work to do, I think, at valuable positions, the offensive line, finding more playmakers, and shoring up that secondary. Steve Palazzolo of Pro Football Focus. Steve, Indianapolis hires Shane Steichen, the offensive coordinator from the Philadelphia Eagles. By all indications, people around the league seem to like the hire. What was your opinion of it? No, I definitely liked it. I think, you know, the, the Eagles have done a good job you know, churning out coaches. I thought Steichen's done a good job, not only with the Eagles, but also with the Chargers when he had Justin Herbert a couple of years ago as a rookie. So, you know, they I also like Steichen's quote that they're going to win with the pass and, and or, or score to win, uh, score, score with the pass and then run to win, basically, right? You, you score points in the pass game in the NFL and then you run out the clock. I like that as a strategy, as a style, and, you know, Jags fans are going to see a new quarterback in Indianapolis. They're going to be drafting somebody, and they're at four, and I, I think the Colts are the most likely team to trade up to one and to go get their guy, whether it's a Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Will Levis, whoever it might be. So I think the Colts with, you know, Jim Irsay coming off this season as the owner, uh, very upset with where the organization's going. I can see them making a bold move, going to get their quarterback, and you know, starting fresh with Steichen, who I think has, uh, has done a really good job with quarterback development and just uh, maximizing offenses that he's been a part of. Steve, same question. You know, in today's day and age, you hire a defensive coach. Some people look at that because of how prevalent the offensive game is, having to score points. But clearly, D'Amico Ryan's one of the best defensive minds in the league. He comes home now where he played a majority of his career there in Houston. Uh, Texan fans are fired up 
about D'Amico Ryans. What was your opinion on that one? Yeah, I mean, Ryans is a hot name, to, and, and I don't think it matters, offensive or defensive coach. You just have to understand what the limitations are. You know, the, the reasoning behind having an offensive coach is you're not going to have him hired away anytime soon. Um, but having a defensive coach, you've got some stability there in Ryans, and by all accounts, he's a he's a great leader. He's somebody people want to play for, and that's the most important thing with you know with a head coaching candidate. It's not necessarily X's and O's. It's getting people to play. It's getting people to buy in. It's being a CEO and a leader of the entire team. So I think Ryan's will do a good job there. They hired former PFFer Bobby Slowick to be an offensive coordinator there and bring uh, the, the Kyle Shanahan system or, or a derivative of that over to Houston. So definitely some exciting things going there. And, you know, they're still going to be upset that they lost that number one overall picks. They're sitting there at two. Could get leapfrogged by a team like the Colts. So I don't know if the Texans will have their choice of quarterback, but it seems like they'll come away with at least – their franchise guy, their next franchise guy, and see what they can do there in Houston. So I think there'll be a couple new rookie quarterbacks in the division. Steve Palazzolo of Pro Football Focus. Steve, as we begin to wrap up, I mean, let's think about this. A new coach and potentially a rookie in Houston, a new coach, potentially a rookie quarterback in Indy, a brand-new GM, and maybe some uncertainty at Tennessee surrounding Tannehill and the direction of that franchise. Unbelievable four months ago, if you would have said in February of 2023 – Jacksonville would be by far and away the most stable franchise in the division, but that appears to be the case. And I think Steve, they're the they're the overwhelming favorite to win this division this year. Correct? Yeah, I think so. Right now, for sure. I mean, look, teams can turn things around in a hurry, but I think the Texans do have a ways to go. The Colts, the Colts could turn it around. Their roster's not terrible, but they they have to figure out quarterback, and they'll have a rookie there. So you never know what, what you're going to get there. And uh, we'll see with Tennessee. If they could make a few moves this offseason, they could be right there in the mix. But, yeah, Jacksonville's certainly in a position of power. As Trevor Lawrence heads into year three, and you still have some resource to play around with as far as the open market goes and uh, in, in making some improvements in the draft. I love the way the Jags are looking right now and the foundation that they've built. And, and Peterson showed, you know, from a coaching standpoint, it's about getting everybody on the same page and everything, but also in-game. I thought he did a great job in the Chargers game, adjusting to that slow start, keeping the you know keeping the team focused, and uh, you know changing the game plan when needed. So all of that stuff I think bodes well for the Jags going forward. Steve, final question: Last offseason, we saw Hall of Famers switching rosters almost every day, from Devontae Adams to Matt Ryan to Russell Wilson, Tyreek Hill. I mean, you name it. It was Khalil Mack. It was crazy. I don't think we're going to see that necessarily this year. But the two big ones that everybody's talking about three weeks out from the league calendar, Lamar Jackson in Baltimore, and assuming Aaron Rodgers is back from his darkness retreat, what's going to happen to him in Green Bay? Do you see any movement with Lamar Jackson or Aaron Rodgers in the next month? Aaron Rodgers, I'm guessing, yes. Um, maybe it's the Raiders, maybe it's the Jets, but I, I think he'll he'll be on the move, I believe. Um, who the heck knows, though? You know, good luck trying to predict what Aaron Rodgers is going to do. And the, the closer we get, you know, to March, the more I'm thinking Lamar Jackson could be, you know, franchised by the Ravens and then potentially traded. You know, all these QB needy teams, uh, the, some of the teams that are drafting in the top 10, the Ravens might want to go that route and and trade Lamar Jackson. I think it's a, it's one of the stories of the offseason. He doesn't have an agent. He's negotiating for himself. It's going to be a tricky one if the Ravens try to go year to year, if they don't want to lock them up long-term and they get hung up on guaranteed money or whatever it might be. So the longer it goes, the more I'm thinking maybe Lamar Jackson ends up moving and the 
The Ravens will have a fascinating decision to make, getting first-round picks back, where they go at quarterback, and how they rebuild their roster because they have a good, strong roster, and maybe they want to go rookie quarterback instead of a long-term quarterback. So um, I think Rodgers definitely on the move. Lamar maybe 50-50 at this point, but more likely as we get closer to the deadlines. Steve, I always encourage people here in Jacksonville to go check out Pro Football Focus. Absolutely love what you guys do there. What can the good folks here in Jacksonville expect when they head over to pff.com? Uh, yeah, so first off, my podcast, PFF NFL Podcast, that's where we get in-depth on all these discussions. We're going to try to go team by team coming up here and, you know, give everybody an off-season plan for agency in the draft. And then pff.com, all the best uh, draft advice, our draft guides out there, draft breakdowns, and during the season, fantasy, gambling, whatever you're looking for. Steve Palazzolo of Pro Football Focus. Steve, know you're very busy, man. Thank you for the time. We'll talk again soon. Yep, thanks for having me. There you go, Steve Palazzolo of PFF.com. Always appreciate him hopping on board here on Hacker After Dark. And, yeah, you look at that division, man. I mean, it's not rocket science. You're going to have a first-year head coach and more than likely a rookie quarterback in Houston. You're going to likely have the same exact scenario in Indianapolis, right? A rookie head coach and a rookie quarterback. Shane Steichen and potentially C.J. Stroud in Houston. D'Amico Ryans potentially Bryce Young, and then in Tennessee, yeah, you got Mike Vrabel. We still don't really know yet about their quarterback. We assume Ryan Tannehill, but as we mentioned earlier today, the Titans have started a purge of their roster. Taylor Lewan cut, Zach Cunningham cut, Robert Woods cut, and their kicker, Randy Bullock cut. I thought it was interesting, Robert Woods today, moments after he was cut, tweeted out one word. The word was free. So it's very clear that you know Robert Wood's thoughts on his time in Nashville. I guess it wasn't exactly the most enjoyable once he was traded there from the Los Angeles Rams. There has been a little bit of turnover for Jacksonville. Chris Jackson, the wide receiver coach, gone. They bring in Chad Hall from Buffalo to replace him. We find out on Monday of this week that Jim Bob Cooter on his way to Indianapolis to join Shane Steichen's staff as the offensive coordinator up there. So the passing game coordinator spot is open here in Jacksonville. Mia O'Brien of 1010XL earlier today tweeted out that Nick Holes appears to be the guy that's going to land that job. He has been with the Raider organization last year. He spent time with UNLV as their offensive coordinator. Now let me give you two things here. Number one... I will go ahead and tell you that Mike Gramala of the Las Vegas Sun, who covers UNLV, he's going to join us in less than 10 minutes. And we're going to find out as much as we can about Nick Holes, who apparently is going to be the new passing game coordinator here in Jacksonville. Mike is the guy that was willing to come on and talk about Nick Holes. But doing this as long as I've done it, you have people in every NFL market or any big-time market. I mean, you've been doing it 20 years. You need people, right? Denmark, I'm sure you have people all over the country. Specifically on the west side. I'm lucky, exactly. I'm lucky enough to have people. So when something happens in Las Vegas, I go to my people in Las Vegas. And now I'll add Mike Gramala to that list, but he was not the guy I went to earlier to find out about Nick Holes. Uh, I won't use the person's name because I they don't, 
I, I don't necessarily know if they want their name attached to this. Matt Hayes. <laughs> That's funny. No, it was not Matt Hayes. That's good. I love you, Matt. Was not Matt Hayes. Um, but people that cover UNLV, when I asked them about Nick Holes, the offensive coordinator out there last year, again, I'm just going to read you the text I got back. You do with this information what you want. I am just the messenger. Hey, what about Nick Holes? Can you give me something to give to the Jaguar audience? <laughs> His response, some less than stellar notes. Number one, the UNLV quarterbacks actually regressed as a group throughout the season. Number two, the backups looked very unprepared when called into emergency duty. Number three, the run game was somewhat productive. And number four, oddly enough, UNLV actually added a co-offensive coordinator to help holes right before the season. Sounds good to me. Not exactly a ringing endorsement. Again, could that potentially be sour grapes? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I just simply said, hey, can you give me something on Nick Holes, who apparently is going to be the new Jaguar passing game coordinator? And that is the response that I got back. So do with that information what you what you will. Let's get another perspective on Nick Holes, who's coming in as the former OC at UNLV, and now, according to Mia O'Brien, set to become the offense or the passing game, the passing game coordinator here in Jacksonville. Let's go talk with Mike Gramala, the Las Vegas Sun. He joins us next to learn a little bit about Nick Holes with Dylan Denmark, the hacker Ryan Green with you. It is a Wednesday night edition of Hacker After Dark and for Baloo the rest of the week right here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Now. Another interview on the Farrah and Farrah phone line. Brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The Jaguars earlier this week lost Jim Bob Cooter, their passing game coordinator a year ago. He took over the offensive coordinator job with the Indianapolis Colts. It appears they have acted very quickly to fill that position as Armia O'Brien reported earlier today, it appears Nick Holes, the offensive coordinator from UNLV, set to become the brand-new passing game coordinator here in Jacksonville. Let's go to Las Vegas, Nevada. Mike Gramala of the Las Vegas Sun here with us to talk about Nick Holes. Mike, appreciate the time, man. How are you? I am I am good. Uh, yeah, Nick Holes to the Jacksonville Jaguars, passing game coordinator. Interesting move. Yeah, you know, look, Mike, I'm trying to get some information about him most of the day. And to be honest, a lot of folks that cover UNLV uh, didn't really know all that much. I guess he very rarely talked to the media. He was upstairs on game day. He wasn't downstairs. You cover that team on a daily basis. What can you tell us about the Jaguars' new passing game coordinator? Well, yeah, he kind of um... – held the lowest profile position on that entire coaching staff because the head coach that he worked under uh, Marcus Arroyo was an offensive guy. He had been an offensive coordinator at Oregon and the head coach was the one who, you know, designed the playbook, set the strategy, called the plays, ran the offense. So anything offensive related, you want to talk to the head coach. You want to interview the head coach. That's who you're asking about it. So uh, Nick Holt's kind of under the radar during his one year at UNLV, so it doesn't surprise me that there's 
not a whole lot of info out there about him. Well, what was interesting and what I've gathered, again, I did not know a lot about Nick Holes this morning. So um, this is hours of research that I've done. He was on the Raiders staff, and then he comes across town to UNLV. I guess an interesting move, but he worked in the city of Las Vegas for the past couple of years. Yeah, he's been a longtime uh, offensive staffer with the Raiders. Um, and I would assume that during the interview process with the Jaguars that, you know, that was the focus of um, the interview process was his time with the Raiders, his role there um, and his time in the NFL. I'm not sure how much of that interview was focused on his his year at UNLV or how much that played a role in him getting, in him getting this job. I think it was probably more about the, his time with the Raiders. Mike Grimala of the Las Vegas Sun here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Let's talk about Nick Holes' offense last year with UNLV. Even though you mentioned the head coach was the offensive guy as well, pass-oriented, run-oriented. I mean, he's bringing Broad in reportedly to be the passing game coordinator, so obviously there is an aerial aspect of offense that Nick Holes does. Yeah, it was the offense that they ran at UNLV was sort of, um, you know, power run, but based off of the the pass first. They wanted to run root combinations downfield, open those intermediate windows, hit those receivers on the run and try to get chunk plays that way. And once the defense, you know, backed off and respected that, then they'd hit you with the power running game and um, hit those lighter fronts. But yeah, so if that carries over and again it's tough to separate you know holes influence from marcus arroyo the head coach who was the guy who designed it all but based on what we saw at unlv you know intermediate passing game try to hit those uh, deep crossers deep overs hit those receivers on the run and uh try to get big plays that way so if i'm if i had to guess at a philosophy that he holds it would be that to your knowledge um his interaction with the players the other coaches on the staff i mean was was he a liked guy, a respected guy in that program? I think so. And I, I, I believe if I was going to credit him with, uh, you know, anything from uh, the covering the team, it would be just the organizational skills, um, the, the, the sideline from an operational aspect. You know, before, you know, the, in the first two years that this uh, head coaching staff was here, the offense was a mess, quite frankly, on game days. It was a, a program that um, couldn't get plays called, you know, from the coach to into the huddle and then to the line of scrimmage and snap it on time. Just a lot of delay of games, a lot of procedure penalties, a lot of burnt timeouts. Um, it was a mess on game days. And then they hired Holtz in this past offseason, and those issues pretty much uh, were solved. Uh, I think he played a big part in that, um, just keeping things running smoothly which I think some people take for granted. But when you have a team that can't do it, it's really hard to watch. But I think Holt's organization skills, um, ability to be that guy on game days that gets everything done the right way is uh, something I would credit him with. Final moments here, Mike Grimala of the Las Vegas Sun talking about the reported hiring of a brand-new passing game coordinator for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Nick Holes was the OC at UNLV last year. You know, Mike, from our standpoint in SEC country, people will remember the name Barry Odom. Barry Odom hired on to be the head coach at UNLV. Was holes in the plans? I mean, was this a surprise that that the OC is leaving here late in February to uh, reportedly come to the NFL? 
No, well, Odom came in and he took a a big swing at offensive coordinator. Like Odom, uh, as you probably know, is a defensive guy, and he his first uh, hire he, he hired Bobby Petrino to be his offensive coordinator at UNLV, which is a big swing. And then Petrino uh, accepted the job, and then just a few days later left for another job uh, at Texas A and M to be the OC there. And then uh, with another opening, Odom again took a big swing, which was. He hired a, sort of a, a gadget offense, co- uh, offensive coordinator. They're going to run this radical option, deep passing game. Um, so I think Odom's he's got an idea of what he wants to do on offense. He wants to swing for the fences. I'm not sure Nick Holes was ever in consideration to sort of be one of those guys. They only kept one guy when the previous coaching staff got fired. It was the tight ends coach. Um, they didn't keep anyone else. So I don't think Holes was ever a uh, consideration to remain um, cause they're going in a different direction, but I don't think that's so much of a, I wouldn't hold that against him. I mean, this offense was really bad before he got here. Um, he was here for one year. It was sort of a sinking ship. It's a tough spot for him to be in. The whole staff basically got fired. I think he acquitted himself better than most everyone else on that coaching staff. Mike Grimala of the Las Vegas sun talking about Nick holes reportedly the brand new passing game coordinator of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Mike, appreciate the time on short notice, my friend. Thank you as always. We'll talk again soon. Of course, appreciate it. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Seven o'clock hour has arrived. One hour down, one hour to go here on Hacker After Dark. And for Blue, the rest of the week, we're with you until eight o'clock tonight. Coming up next, in about 10 or 15 minutes, we will talk John Shipley, Jaguar Report, about the Jaguar offseason, 19 days prior to the start of NFL free agency. And at the bottom of the 7 o'clock hour, Andrew Spivey, GatorCountry.com, about everything going on at the University of Florida, including defensive coordinator Patrick Toney leaving the Gators last night, taking a job with the Arizona Cardinals. A lot of NFL news going on as, again, inside of three weeks till the league calendar begins. We'll start up in Nashville tonight. Titans were way over the salary cap. And in the span of about two hours, Tennessee cut over $30 million off of their cap. They cut Taylor Lewan, longtime offensive tackle for the Tennessee Titans. I believe he spent nine years up there as Tennessee's left tackle, they cut kicker. Uh, they cut their kicker, Randy Bullock. They also cut linebacker Zach Cunningham and wide receiver Robert Woods. Now, let's honestly think about what Tennessee did today. Lawan got hurt at the early part of the year, didn't play very much. Robert Woods was only there for one season. Zach Cunningham was there a season and a half. And the kicker was the fourth guy that they cut. So... They cut four names. They cut four guys that you are familiar with. But of those four guys in the AFC South Championship game 46 days ago, Taylor Lewan did not play. Zach Cunningham did not play. Robert Woods was out there. And, of course, Randy Bullock, the kicker, was out there. So Tennessee now well under the cap. They're going to have some more decisions to make with Ryan Tannehill and with Derrick Henry, look, he's coming into the last year of his contract. He's not getting any younger. Is it rebuild time in Tennessee? Do you think 
about trading Derrick Henry when he still has value left. Look, I know Derrick Henry is great. Derrick Henry is a borderline Hall of Famer. Derrick Henry has been one of, if not the best running backs in football for the last five years. But I don't care who you are. All those carries catch up with you. The guy's not 24 anymore. So who knows if Derrick Henry is still at the prime of his career or if that arrow will eventually start pointing downward. Other news around the National Football League today. You see this in Baltimore? Willie Taggart. Yeah, that Willie Taggart. Hired to the staff of the Baltimore Ravens. You know, we spend so much time, because most people think we're Gator homers here on 1010XL. As I tell you repeatedly, I'm an objective broadcast journalist. I don't consider myself a Gator homer at all. But we do spend a lot of time about how Gator fans feel about Ron Zook, or how do they feel about Jim Butterteeth McElwain, or how do they feel about, you know, Will Muschamp? How do they I feel about Urban? I have always liked Florida State. Yeah, look, we don't spend near enough time talking about Florida State. So now I'm having a one-on-one conversation with you, the garnet and gold here in the city of Jacksonville. How do you feel about Willie Taggart? Is there venom towards Willie Taggart? Did he inherit an impossible situation coming in after Jimbo Fisher? Obviously, it took Mike Norvell two years after Willie to right the ship in Tallahassee. Willie Taggart left Florida State, went down to Florida Atlantic. It didn't work out for him there either, but he gets a fresh start now in the National Football League with the Baltimore Ravens. I never had any problem with Willie Taggart. The guy was always nice to me. I was always nice enough to come on the radio station, was gracious with his time. I'm just curious how Florida State fans, years removed from the very short 21-game tenure of Willie Taggart, how you feel about him as a coach. The franchise tag, the window to put the franchise tag is open right now. It opened yesterday. It will roll on until Tuesday, March 7th. We will then have six days to decompress before free agency officially begins on Monday, March the 13th. Rumors out of Washington. Deron Payne, the big defensive tackle, is going to get the franchise tag put on him. Arguably a top five free agent to be in this class. It is no surprise that apparently Washington is going to protect themselves and eventually in the next 12 days place the franchise tag on Deron Payne. Speaking of Washington, I've been talking to some folks up in Washington. In fact, Ryan Fowler of the Draft Network is going to join us tomorrow night here on Hacker After Dark. His previous beat before the Draft Network was with the Washington football team, now the Commanders. Talking about Eric Bieniemy, Eric Bieniemy leaves Kansas City to go to Washington. The thought is, at least in talking to Ryan, that Ron Rivera is not long for that job. There's even talk 2023 potentially could be Ron Rivera's last year in Washington. And is Eric Bieniemy now essentially the coach in waiting? Was that part of the draw to leave Kansas City? and to come to Washington with the knowledge that Ron Rivera will not be there too much longer. 
And when Ron Rivera retires, Eric Bieniemy will step in to that job. I don't know if you saw this yesterday. Was Sean McCoy primarily known about from his time in Buffalo and certainly Philadelphia, but he did end his career in Kansas City. I believe he's on FS1. <coughs> Excuse me. And he had some very critical remarks about Eric Bieniemy. Very critical saying that Eric Bieniemy doesn't really talk a whole lot in offensive meetings. He has nothing to do with the passing game. That's all Andy Reid. He doesn't understand why Bieniemy gets so much love. He hopes he becomes a head coach one day, but he understands why he's not. Pretty surprising from a guy that played for the Kansas City Chiefs. However, since those comments by LaShawn McCoy, folks that also played for Kansas City, including Tyreek Hill, have come out in Eric Bieniemy's defense. So we'll see what happens there. Of course, Bieniemy year in and year out is up for a lot of head coaching positions. He never gets them. People are wondering, well, why on earth would you leave Patrick Mahomes? Why would you leave Travis Kelsey in, in Kansas City and go to Washington? Well, to get out of Andy Reid's shadow, quite frankly. To do your own thing, to join a defensive head coach in Ron Rivera... And if you're able to turn Washington's offense around, Eric Bieniemy will get total 100% credit for that, unlike what's happening now with what he's doing in Kansas City with Andy Reid. And finally, ESPN.com, as they do every year, about three weeks out from free agency, they have put their best team fits for the top 50 free agents. I will tell you of the top 50, The Jacksonville Jaguars are listed one time. Evan Ingram. They say Evan Ingram. Best fit is here in Jacksonville. I don't think anybody in this market would disagree with that. Arden Key. They say his best fit is with the Houston Texans. Jawan Taylor. His best fit with the New England Patriots. Hmm. We'll see about that. Again, 19 days from the start of NFL free agency. Coming up in about 20 minutes, Andrew Spivey, GatorCountry.com, talking about the departure of Patrick Tony. Coming up next, John Shipley of Jaguar Report. Let's talk Jaguars. Let's talk offseason. Let's talk free agency and more. Next, as Hacker After Dark rolls on in for Rick Blue on a Wednesday here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. Hard to believe free agency inside of three weeks away. The Jaguar season has ended over a month ago now for the very latest. John Shipley of Jaguar Report, always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. John, it's been a little while, man. Hope all's been well with you. Yeah, no, everything's been going good, man. You know, enjoying... uh the off season a little bit, but also getting to a point now where I'm, you know, missing the grind a little bit, but thankfully, like you said, you know, it's almost here. Yeah. The combine next week, I believe you're headed up to Indianapolis for that. And then you look and free agency will be here. John, you and I talked, I think the Tuesday after the season ended, 
We've now had a good three and a half, four weeks to kind of decompress from that. You feel any different now than you did then, just the overall sense of the direction of the team coming into the 2023 season? I honestly don't. I felt like the Jaguars, you know, at the end of last season had, you know, really established one, a standard, but also kind of a plan for moving forward that, you know, this is going to be a team that's driven by the people who are here right now, by the young players who are still on their first contracts and the second years of their first contracts that ultimately the Jaguars, they're going to be moving into a model of drafting, developing, retaining their own guys as opposed to the spending they've done the last two seasons. So uh, I felt like that at the end of the season. And, you know, there, there hasn't been anything so far this offseason to really budge me off of that. I, I think it's definitely you know, a possibility the Jaguars do something like explore adding a free agent, potentially, say, a nickel corner or an interior defensive lineman in the offseason. But I think ultimately their offseason is going to be about retaining their own guys and developing their own guys. And really, when you're looking at the big additions, I think it's going to be draft picks first and foremost. John Shipley of Jaguar Report. All right. You did a predictions piece last week for Jaguar Report, which is a part of Sports Illustrated. You gave your Jaguar free agent predictions. I want to talk about that, but more so, I guess actually it would lead into that story because it does involve Evan Ingram. You, along with basically everybody else, John, that I've had on over the last month, seems to think Evan Ingram is the priority. When I ask Evan Ingram, Jawan Taylor, or Arden Key, you can keep one. Almost across the board, it's Evan Ingram for everybody. Is that your sense as well? I think so, because as maybe unproven at right tackle as Walker Little is, I think the Jaguars see him as a starter-level player at both positions, and at the end of the day, they have a ready-made you know, replacement on the roster who they know and walk a little, who they're confident in. They don't have the same for Evan Ingram. I mean, really, the tight end room, you know, as of right now, it's him, Dan Arnold, Chris Manhurts. They're all free agents. Luke Farrell is their only tight end who played snaps last year. Who's even still in their contract? So it's Evan Ingram, or you're going, you know, back to really ground zero when it comes to the tight end room. So I, I think for the Jaguars, obviously they want to keep both players, but I think Evan Ingram is the priority because just the lack of depth at that position as compared to offensive tackle. And also the fact that in their scheme, I think it's a little more important to have a, you know, maybe a number three pass catcher than having, you know, a high paid right tackle because they have a scheme and they have a quarterback that can get the ball out quickly. They can kind of mitigate some of those pressures. Franchise tags can start being handed out this week. I think you have a two-week window for the franchise tag. Free agency officially begins the negotiation period on Monday, March the 13th. So with that, John, I would have to think conversations have already been had in the last couple of weeks. How feasible is it that you think something gets done? Or if nothing is going to get done, could the Jaguars franchise Evan Ingram to keep him off the open market? That, that's what I expect. I don't expect Evan Ingram to be hitting the free agency market. I think at the Jaguars franchise tag him, the reason they would do it is to make it a vehicle to sign him to an extension, but just so you can kind of extend those contract talks. Like they did with Cam Robinson last year, they originally franchise tagged him, and then he, they were able to keep talking to him before he hit free agency. 
then they sign a contract extension right around draft time. So I could see a similar situation for Evan Ingram, but I just, out of all their free agents, I'm the most confident in him being the one who they don't really allow to test the market because they value him that much. And I, I, I think that they're going to come to an agreement. I don't think that they're far apart in either expectations or uh, desires from either side. Both sides knows it's a fit and both sides want it to happen. So I think it's going to happen. John Shipley of Jaguar Report here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. John, before we get to Jawan Taylor, Arden Key, and the rest of the offseason outlook, the Jaguars, $32 million over the cap is projected, although a lot of that goes away if they cut Shaq Griffin. A lot of those contracts can be restructured. We've certainly talked about that a lot in the last month. I guess my question is, if it's a foregone conclusion that Shaq Griffin's going to be gone, what are they waiting for? Why are we sitting here, at least at the time you and I are talking in late February and Shaq Griffin is still on the roster. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think as of right now, you know, maybe it doesn't really, you know, search to their advantage to release him as, as everything stands right now. If they're not making any other moves then they can kind of stand pat right now. I do think that he's going to be the first domino to fall. So once you do see him get released, that to me indicates that they're ready to make other moves. And that to me is all it really is. is the fact that, you know, it hasn't happened because they haven't, actually started the process yet of officially getting guys off the roster, officially restructuring guys. I'm sure it's been talked about, but until it's official, I don't think that they're going to really count their chicken, their eggs before they hatch. Let me throw three guys at you that would sting a little more if they were released than Shaq Griffin. Jamal Agnew, Roy Robertson, Harris, Rayshon Jenkins. Uh, we'll begin with Jamal Agnew. I think he would save like almost $5 million dollars if you release him, he's a fan favorite. He's a very good player. But with Calvin Ridley's arrival, John, does Jamal Agnew maybe become a little uh, a little uh, as a guy that, that might not make it on the 53-man roster? Yeah, no, it's a tough one because you know, I, I think, you know, kind of really with all these guys, but especially Agnew and Robinson Harris, he played his best football at the end of the year. So that's where you have, you know, freshness in your mind when you think about the potential optics of him, you know, being released. I think that if he stayed on the roster, he'd be set to make around, I'd say a $5 million cap it. So I, you know, obviously one of the best returners in the game, but if the Jaguars who are, you know, strapped for cash right now, at least in terms of the cap situation, you know, see paying their number four receiver $5 million is too much. I don't think that's anything anybody really disagree with. So I think he's going to stay, but it, it wouldn't surprise me uh, if he's, you know, somebody they look at to, you know, make some savings. I, I, my prediction is he stays, but I wouldn't put it at anything where I'm overly confident. The Roy Robertson Harris, Rayshon Jenkins ones are interesting, John, because Halloween of last year, yeah, cut them. You know, you save a bunch of money. They're not doing very much. And then all of a sudden, Rayshon Jenkins and Roy Robertson Harris maybe were your two best defensive players towards the end of the year. I mean, they were vital into what the Jaguars did with that six-game winning streak. How complicated could those get? Yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head that, yeah, Roy Robertson Harris especially, you know, would have been an easier guy to really on paper release midway through the season. But uh, over that final stretch of the games, you know, I go back to the Los Angeles Chargers game where he had four tackles for loss, a sack, and a pass breakup. He, he was a critical part of their pass rush, their run defense. He stepped up when DeWan Smoot was injured. And really the big thing with Robertson Harris is the fact that if you move on from him, you have DeWan Smoot, who's a free agent, who you need to figure out. You have Arden Key, who's a free agent, 
Those are the two other interior pass rushers. And then you have Corey Peters and Adam Gossis as free agents. So that's a lot of interior snaps that you'd be missing. It probably w- I would imagine move interior defensive line to near number one on the needs list. So it, it, it's a tough one. But then you also look at how much money you would save and how much you set to make. And the overall production for his price tag isn't there. So that that is one that I think probably happens. But it's not one I think is one that you know, they'd be overly happy about. Yeah, it would sting, no question about it. What about Rayshon Jenkins? Yeah, no, Rayshon is somebody who I think last year, you know, er- earned the chance to continue to play on his contract. Obviously, after his first season in Jacksonville, there were some, you know, warranted questions about if he'd be able to produce at the level to warrant that deal. I thought last year he was their best defender Overall, you know, their most impactful defender. I think, you know, you can argue for Tyson Campbell as well, obviously, Fourier, Aluakun. But I thought Rayshon made the most game-changing plays most consistently week in and week out. So I, I think he's somebody who's earned the right to stay. But when you look at his contract, you know, if you, if you want to, say, add a void year or potentially, you know, convert his uh, money into a signing bonus, then you, you engage in a contract with him for the next two years instead of just next year. So he's somebody who his situation to me is interesting to see if they restructure him. I just, I don't know if you can afford to cut him after the year that he had. A couple of more for John Shipley of Jaguar Report. John, last week in your free agent predictions for the Jaguars, you had Jawan Taylor leaving, I believe going to the Raiders, getting $15 million a year. How viable is it for the Jaguars to say franchise Evan Ingram and still be able to re-sign Jawan Taylor, or is that going to be very hard to do? I don't think it'd be hard to do. I think if it's something that you know they saw as the best course of action for the future, that's something that it would definitely be possible to do. I'm just not sure if it's really the right business move when you have a ready-made chief replacement to be spending that kind of money on a right tackle when you're already up against the cap, you know, especially when you have to think about guys next year who are eligible for deals like Tyson Campbell, like Andre Cisco, like, like Trevor Lawrence, you know, eventually he's going to have to get paid. So I think Juwan has definitely earned a big payday. I just think the situation and the timing means it probably won't come in Jacksonville. And, and look, I, I agree with you that you, you put Walker Whittle to the right side, but is it that easy, John? I mean, the guy played left tackle in college, I know he played a little right tackle at the beginning of his career in Stanford. He comes in last year and is a very good replacement for Cam Robinson. Is it as easy as say, all right, Cam's back, Walker, you move to right and you won't miss a beat, or could it be more complicated than that? No, it's not that easy because he has a more natural left tackle, but I would also say that they were, you know, Jawan Taylor injury away last year from, you know, Walker having to play right tackle anyways. I, I want to say he did it for about 15 snaps against the Cowboys and obviously small sample size, but he held his own against Micah Parsons and Demarcus Lawrence in that game. So it's, it's not as easy to say, okay, simply move to the right side, but he is at least somebody who has spent a whole training camp over there. He's been the swing tackle before. So I don't think he's at least starting from point zero. John, give us 60 seconds on Arden key. That's always the third guy that people are talking about after Evan Ingram and after Jawan Taylor, Arden Key, set to hit the market on Monday, March 13th. What are you hearing? What's your opinion on him as far as 2023? Yeah, no, I think Arden Key is somebody the Jaguars really want back. Uh, yeah, I, I know Key expressed it after the Chiefs game that he's somebody who he wants to be back, and I, I believe that he also said 
that he had discussions with Trent Baalke already. I think the Jaguars are a situation that, you know, it makes sense for Key and it makes sense for them. They need as many interior rushers and even edge rushers as they can get, especially with Josh Allen entering kind of a bit of an unknown period with his future. And I think just everything Arden Key provided on and off the field last year, he proved that he's a fit in Jacksonville. Um, I, I think that he has seen in his career that, not every scheme, not every organization is going to be a fit for him and his skill set. So I think the fact that he produced here last year, it's somewhere where he enjoyed playing, I think will go a long way. And I think ultimately he'll come back to Jacksonville. Final moments, John Shipley of Jaguar Report, which is a part of Sports Illustrated. John, final Jaguar question, then I want to look at the division as we say goodbye. You mentioned free agency. Obviously, they're not going to spend gobs and gobs of money like they did last year. But... If they do find some money when they release Shaq Griffin, they restructure some of these deals, if they let Jawan Taylor walk in free agency, because we'll get to the draft in a couple of months, but in free agency, where do you think they would be best served in spending that money? Is there maybe either a guy or a position that they need to go out there and they need to target? I, I think ultimately along the interior defensive line is where you put some money in. I think, you know, whether that's a guy like Sheldon Rankins, a guy like Draymond Jones, you know, just somebody who can add to that interior pass rushing rotation. I mean, that was something the Jaguars had issues with last year, was collapsing the pocket and turning edge pressures in the sacks. You know, they were, I want to say, third or fourth in pressures, but they were among the bottom five in sacks last year. And I think a big reason for that is they didn't really have many guys on the inside who could consistently collapse the pocket. So I think ultimately if they're going to spend that somewhere, that makes the most sense. John, final question. Since the last time you and I talked, we got two brand new head coaches in the AFC South. We also have a brand new general manager in the AFC South. Rand Carthon, the new GM in Tennessee. Of course, D'Amico Ryans, the new head coach in Houston, and Shane Steichen, the new head coach in Indianapolis. Who would have ever thought six months ago that the Jaguars would be the most stable team in the AFC South in February of 2023, but that is where we have landed. What's been your thought on everything that's transpired in the division over the last month? Yeah, I think the AFC South has become a much more interesting division over the last month. I think D'Amico Ryans, obviously, anytime you hire a defensive head coach, you run into some risk, potentially your offensive coordinator getting poached, but as long as they hit the quarterback position and whoever they pick with the number two pick or trade up, I think the Miko is going to end up being, you know, a fantastic hire for them. He's a great leader. He's a great schemer. He's a great coach. You know, the 49ers, they didn't have the top defense just because of their talent. They ran an excellent scheme. They had excellent adjustments week in and week out. And then Shane Steichen, I, I, I'm a little less impressed by his resume than I am with the Mikos, but anytime you can add, you know, a quarterback minded head coach, somebody who has had recent success at the position and as a play caller. You know, you see what he did with Jalen Hurts, Justin Herbert. I think that those are hires that make the AFC South a lot more interesting moving forward. And I think it's going to be interesting seeing, you know, two probable top five quarterbacks, you know, rookies uh, in the division next year against Trevor Lawrence and whoever the Titans have under center. Yeah, it looks like the uh, second and fourth picks in the draft are both going to be quarterbacks for both Houston and Indianapolis. Is the Tennessee thing going to work, John? A GM and a head coach that have never worked together. We've seen that here in Jacksonville sometimes work and sometimes be a disaster. It's certainly interesting what Tennessee did. Yeah, no, it, it is. I, I think the fact that 
Mike Vrabel himself has had, you know, some issues just in terms of keeping his staff together, whether it's the front office or coach staff the last couple of years. The Titans are in a really weird spot to me. They're, they're a team that, you know, it feels like they're better than what they put on the field last year, but it also feels like they're, you know, the good times are over that, you know, they're really on the verge of, you know, being put into that downslope kind of period. So I, I don't envision big things for the Titans this year. I, I could see them finishing second in the AFC South before maybe the Colts or Texans pass them a year later. And, you know, that would obviously not bode well for anybody involved. The Super Bowl is a little over a week removed, and we're already on the doorstep of the NFL Scouting Combine, and we are now officially inside of three weeks until NFL free agency. John Shipley of Jaguar Report, which is a part of Sports Illustrated. John, as always, thank you for the time. Safe travels to the Combine, my friend. We'll talk again soon. All right, thank you, my friend. Appreciate it. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. Well, there is never a lack of news going on in the world of college football, and that's especially true down in Gainesville, as here we sit going into the late stages of February, and lo and behold, Patrick Tony is now gone from the University of Florida, as he apparently has taken a job in the NFL with the Arizona Cardinals. Who saw that coming? Not a lot of people. For the very latest, let's go to Gainesville. One of our main guys down there is Andrew Spivey, GatorCountry.com, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Andrew, never lacking in the news department down there, is it, my friend? Never. You know, we always say uh, with the Gators, the moment you think things are, are quiet and things are good, you better think twice because uh, 24-7 something will happen from you know, midnight flips with Jaden Rashada to uh, a couple of guys a few years ago uh, announcing in the middle of the night. And then, you know, the arrest under Will Muschamp, always something going on. Andrew, you're pretty connected down there, man. That's why we love having you on. I'll ask you flat out, did you see this coming? Did you know Patrick Tony was maybe thinking of uh, departing? Well, you know, I'd heard some rumors uh, back in December, you know, that he was looking at the Baylor uh, DC job and that, that, you know, there was some interest uh, from both parties there and that, you know, Patrick Tony was thinking about moving on. Then he didn't get it and things kind of died down a little bit. And, you know, obviously you're what, 10 days away from the start of, uh, of spring practice, you don't think you're going to make a change now. So it was shocking that it came this late. Uh, was it shocking that he left? Um, maybe not. I, I just, after he didn't get the Baylor job and he stuck around through February, I kind of thought, okay, he's going to stay through this year. Uh, so yeah, a little bit surprising, yeah. You know, the thought about Patrick Tony, and correct me if I'm wrong, good young coach, good young recruiter, uh, I think uh, people say single-handedly got Florida a couple of their big signees the last couple of years since he arrived with Billy Napier. He came with Billy from Louisiana, and now here we are on February, what is it, 22nd, and he up and leaves basically in the middle of the night to take an assistant job with the Arizona Cardinals. It's It smells, Andrew, does it not? Is it? Am I reading too much into it? No, not at all. I mean, you know, uh, 
from talking to some people, you know, I think it was a, a little bit of a mutual thing where, you know, obviously uh, Patrick Tony and Billy Napier are very good friends. They've coached together for a while. Uh, you know, obviously Tony is and, and Billy both. They're they're not, you know, blind. They see the social media, you know, and the fans, you know, kind of overreacting a little bit about how bad the defense was. I'm one of those who who says the defense was bad because the talent exactly wasn't there. Um, I think Patrick Tony's a, a very good up and coming coach uh, that needed a little bit of time with some better players. And uh, but you know, I think the, a little bit was you know, hey, if we mutually part ways, I go get another job. This helps my buddy Billy out, and then Billy can also kind of say it helps Tony out because it's not career suicide of you know continuing to stay here and you know just kind of get roasted by the fans all the time. Andrew Spivey, GatorCountry.com, here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Back to Tony in a minute, but if he wasn't the only one to leave Florida, there's another one on the Gator staff that is also going to the Arizona Cardinals. Florida also, Andrew, apparently losing their tight ends coach. Yeah, William Pegler headed there as well. And, you know, that one's a little bit surprising to me, uh, more so than Tony, uh, just because, you know, Pegler's a guy, and, you know, you can say what you want to say about the tight ends last year um, against a, a, a tight end room that was very depleted uh, because of what Dan Mullen and Tim Brewster and those guys left. Uh, so you, you can't really judge it too much on that. Uh, was known as a really good recruiter. Uh, recruited several guys from the state of Georgia, including guys like Bryce Thornton, uh, um, and had several other key guys that he had recruited. So he was doing well there. Um, so it's a little surprising that they moved on from him so, or that he moved on so quick. Um, but you know, it's. Uh, Tight ends coaching the NFL is a lot easier than being a tight ends coach in the uh, college football nowadays where you're not only recruiting your own guys, but you're recruiting high school guys, transfer portal guys, and everybody else. Andrew, you are very connected with the fans. I see you on social media. You have, obviously, the message boards there at Gator Country, which are very, very active. So you're not blind to this fact. Gator fans are worried. In the last month, you had the fiasco with Jaden Rashada and the NIL and now your defensive coordinator in the middle of the night up and leaves to, to the Arizona Cardinals. I mean, I wouldn't call it panic necessarily, but there is certainly some trepidation from the fan base about what's going on down there in Gainesville. Is that trepidation warranted? Um, yes and no. I mean, you know, not really for me because, you know, Billy Napier is a guy and, and and we were told this from the get-go, and, and again, I've followed Billy for a while and known Billy uh, for a while, and he's a guy who he critiques his own, his own self more than anyone. Uh, you know, there's not going to be someone who sees something that he doesn't see. So, you know, he, he understood that, you know, there needed to be some changes, and he understands that, hey, next year's not a uh, honeymoon phase that he had this year, uh, so he needed to, you know, get things going. Everybody called for change, wanting some change on the staff and such on. They got it. You know, maybe they didn't get it in the timely manner they wanted, but they got it. So, you know, I, I think you have to wait and judge Billy by how how these new hires do. Uh, obviously, Austin Armstrong is the guy who is going to take over as D.C. He was just hired at Alabama's inside linebacker coach, comes over from Southern Miss where he was D.C. last year, and has worked with Billy at Louisiana Lafayette before that. So you kind of have to judge it by what these guys do going forward as Billy cannot miss now on two defensive hires if you want to call the Patrick Tony hire a miss from the get-go. 
Andrew Spivey, GatorCountry.com. You mentioned Armstrong from Alabama. I mean, they had to have some inkling Tony was leaving, right? Tony wasn't gone eight hours before the Armstrong name was basically in the hopper as the brand-new defensive coordinator. They moved super quick on that. Yeah, I mean, and again, you know, uh, Patrick Tony and Billy Napier are very close. Uh, so they had, you know, been in t- uh, contact with that, about that. Um, and this has been something that's been in the works a little bit uh, for the past couple days. And obviously Patrick Tony went out and interviewed with the Cardinals' new head coach um, and all of that. So, you know, it was definitely something that was there. Um, obviously Billy having that relationship uh, with Armstrong helped move this process along uh, even further. Uh, but, yeah, it, it is something that had been in there. And Billy Napier, like, you know, all head coaches, kind of has a short list of, okay, if this person leaves, these are the guys that I want to target from the get-go. We've been told that Patrick Tony, and I believe this, that Patrick Tony was one of the better recruiters uh, on the staff. I remember you told me the story of Shamar James, how Tony was playing Xbox with him at like 3 a.m. the night of signing day, and then Shamar James uh, recommits to Florida a few hours later. I've seen some of the reaction on social media, Gator players don't seem overly happy about Patrick Tony leaving. Is there any concern with Tony leaving that some of the defensive guys might want out as well? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think so. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know that it'll be it'll be judged uh, by how they like Armstrong going forward um, and and how he does with that, and he'll have to get in and connect with those guys for sure. Um, I don't think so. Billy Napier does a really good job of, you know, involving everyone, um, you know, his whole staff, uh, including off the field staff members, uh, you know, with with all the players. So it's not just a one man show with with the safeties. Like, for instance, you know, Kamari Wilson's not just dealing with Patrick Tony. He's dealing with Corey Raymond. He's dealing with Billy Napier. He's dealing with a lot of people. So I wouldn't put too much into that. Uh, Obviously, you know, guys saying they're hurt by him leaving shows that there was potential. Patrick Tony is one of the better defensive, young-minded guys in there, and this is not the last time Gator fans will hear from Patrick Tony or football fans will hear from Patrick Tony. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you said something earlier that piqued my interest. Uh, you said the social media, that Tony and Napier aren't blind to the fact of what Gator fans are saying about them on social media. Do you think that because of the negative aura around the program right now from the fan base quite frankly that that might have led to Tony wanting to exit the program yeah I mean I I, I don't think it's uh I don't think it helped by any means you know I mean uh when, when you see the fans and you know obviously you know fans are are you know letting them know on social media writing to them you know everything else and you know there's some boosters same way that you know express that frustration that yeah, I, I definitely think that, you know, Patrick Tony probably seen that was like, man, what the heck <laughs> kind of thing. And, you know, and rightfully so. I mean, uh, again, we're talking about a defense that, that is going to have maybe two players drafted, maybe three at the most drafted here in, in April at the NFL draft. Uh, that's not SEC material. So, I, you know, I think that he was dealt a bad hand. Um, you know, the, the talent was not there. Um, and, and I think that they, 
people needed to understand that. Um, but but either one of those guys, they, uh, they you know, they've seen the social media reactions. And I, you know, I think it's best kind of for both parties a little bit in a way that everybody just kind of goes their separate ways. And, you know, Billy has a chance to hire someone else. And hopefully this hire comes in with the talent Patrick Tony landed and has better success and fans can get on board. Final moments, Andrew Spivey, GatorCountry.com. Andrew, Gator fans just need something good to think about, right? You lose Colin Castleton probably for the year with the broken hand. The Gator basketball team I don't think might win a game the rest of the year with how they looked against Arkansas. The Jaden Rashada situation, now Patrick Toney up and leaves in the middle of the night. I mean, give give Florida fans here in Jacksonville some positivity about something right now because they certainly need it. Softball and baseball are really good. <laughs> Gymnastics is really good. Uh, you know, and, and not only that, but spring practice starts here in about 10 days. And, um, you know, they're, they'll, they'll get going. And, um, you know, you'll see a lot of positive from that because, you know, it's all positive. You're going against each other. Uh, you know, you can look at that as, okay, well, when the offense wins a practice, does that mean the defense sucks? If, you know, when the defense wins, does that mean the offense sucks? We'll don't, we don't know. We'll see in in September when they kick it off against Utah. But, you know, I I think that there's some positive things definitely going. Um, obviously, the NIL stuff is getting, you know, worked out, and, and they're really trying to put a program in place to fix that. Uh, with spring practice going, they're, they're doing pretty good in the 2024 uh, recruiting class with DJ Lagway already committed. So there's some positive things for sure. Uh, you know, I'm one of those that says you can do everything you want to in recruiting. You can do everything you want to in spring practice. But at the end of the day, it's all about results in the fall. So for me, all of this is just, you know, just talk. It's just filler time. I Until the fall happens and this team goes out and proves that, you know, they're a better football team, it's all just talk for me. Andrew, final question with spring ball right around the corner. Graham Mertz versus Jack Miller, is there a competition for that spot, and do you expect, regardless of what happens in the spring, Florida will add somebody in the May portal? I expect them to add somebody in the May portal, and, you know, I, I say this, and I, I mean this is no disrespect, but if it's really a battle, uh, you know, between those two quarterbacks after what we see in the Las Vegas Bowl, Florida's got some some major problems. Uh, you know, obviously, Graham Mertz is a guy who, you know, needs to improve, uh, needs to cut down on his turnovers, but uh, much better quarterback, more experience. Uh, the guys seem to really like him uh, in their offseason training with him. Uh, the coaches really like what he's done on the board. I don't think it's a competition. Obviously, when Billy Napier speaks, he'll say it's a competition out of respect for Jack Miller. Uh, but if this really comes down to a competition, then Florida fans uh, have a long fall ahead of them. Andrew Spivey, GatorCountry.com. We encourage all Gator fans to go check out the great work at GatorCountry.com. Andrew, appreciate you joining us on short notice, my friend. Thank you very much. We'll talk again soon. Absolutely, man. We'll talk soon. And there you go. Andrew Spivey, GatorCountry.com, joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark. Interesting times in Gainesville. There is no question about that from the Jaden Rashada situation, the NIL fiasco a month ago to Colin Castleton breaking his hand, essentially ending the Florida basketball season to now Patrick Tony, an up-and-coming young defensive coach, a good recruiter by all indications, basically leaving in the middle of the night, right? Last night agrees to go to the Arizona Cardinals. So uh, we'll see what's happening down at the University of Florida. As Andrew said, spring football 
about two weeks away, the spring game towards the middle part of April. But, uh, yeah, Gators could use some good news anytime soon. Hopefully they'll get some sooner rather than later. Well, that'll just about do it for what has been a very busy Wednesday night edition of Hacker After Dark and for Rick Blue the rest of the week. Thank you guys for hanging out with us tonight here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Thank you again to Andrew Spivey, GatorCountry.com. Thank you to my friend John Shipley of Jaguar Report, of course, a part of Sports Illustrated, talking Jaguars offseason. Speaking of the Jacksonville Jaguars, we also had Steve Palazzolo on, pro football focus, one of their main NFL writers. Love some PFF.com. Steve's a very busy man this time of year. We certainly appreciate him taking time out for us tonight here on Hacker After Dark. We'll be back tomorrow night on a Thursday, and we will do it all over again. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker Ryan Green. And Jacksonville, thank you for spending part of your Wednesday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Wednesday, and we will talk to you tomorrow night on a Thursday, beginning at 6 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.